Welcome to SF Sight Audio. In this review, we'll be listening to If I Were You by L. Ron Hubbard, a multicast performance produced by Galaxy Audio, about two hours in length. It's time once again to jump back in time when authors were paid around three cents a word and pulp magazines in every genre carried thrilling and fun stories. This time, we're going to the fantasy genre with a couple of stories from the Golden Age by L. Ron Hubbard. Galaxy Audio and Galaxy Press have been reissuing the short stories from L. Ron Hubbard's writing career of the mid-20th century. Hubbard wrote many stories spanning genres such as science fiction, fantasy, sea and air adventures, tales from the Orient, westerns, and more. In this audiobook, Galaxy Audio has put together two stories from the fantasy genre to create an audio pulp magazine to rival all other pulps. One of the key features of the Galaxy Audio releases is their superb production quality. With original music and subtle yet effective sound effects, these audiobooks are like a great trip back to the days of radio dramas. The biggest factor in these productions is the excellent vocal talents. All the books have a general cast of very talented voice actors that capture the larger-than-life characters that Hubbard created. In some of the audiobooks, they feature some actors that offer a little more. In this audiobook, the lead character, circus midget Little Tom Little, is portrayed by Nancy Cartwright. Yes, the same one that voices Bart Simpson. It's pretty cool to hear her voice. You recognize her, but as can be expected, she can change it up enough where she can still portray a circus midget without you having to say, hey, that's Bart Simpson. At first, it does grab your attention, but just like all the other voice talent in these audiobooks by Galaxy Audio, it blends in and fits perfectly with the character in the story. This audiobook contains the following stories. The first one, If I Were You. It was originally published in February 1940 issue of Five Novels Monthly. It turns out to be a morality tale of what truly makes a person, soul or stature. Circus attraction and king of the midgets, Little Tom Little is not happy with being a sideshow attraction. Tom wants to be the ringleader. When the mysterious professor calls Tom to his deathbed, Tom is amazed. The professor never really liked him, but the professor leaves Tom his entire collection of magical books. He tells Tom it's because he had the courage to make fun of him with no fear of retaliation. Tom then goes back to his wife Maisie and tells her things are about to change. Within the magical tomes is a spell marked specifically for Tom that allows him to jump from body to body. When the professor left you his trunks, he didn't like you any better than he ever had. What of that? Can a man repent on his deathbed? Yes, Tommy. But did he? Look, let's not go into that. He hated you, Tommy. When you used to mimic his mitt reading, I could see him watching. He didn't think it was funny. It may be all right with anyone else in the show for you to take off their routine, but it never was with the professor. Oh, you've been dreaming again. He did leave me his trunks, didn't he? There's such a thing as vengeance after death, Tommy. Sure, but I haven't met his ghost yet. Not his ghost, Tommy. It's those books. Tom immediately wants to take advantage of this newfound power and become the circus ringleader. The problem is that the ringleader, Herman Schmidt, is a corrupt person and has been skimming off the top of the profits. This leads to Tom jumping from body to body and eventually landing in the body of a big cat tamer. Tom has a fear of the big cats 
and he finds himself in giant-sized danger. The fun with this story is the unexpected twist Hubbard is able to throw in that keeps you guessing as to what will happen next. Out of the run and into the arena spilled the giant cats, flashing tawny bodies, four and five hundred pounds each brute, every ounce a demander of blood. Stripes and snarls and gleaming teeth all milled just behind these thin grates, racing round and round, swiping at each other, snarling and spitting and roaring death to each other and the menagerie men and the world of people. 5,000 spectators with chilled spines looked upon the scene. 5,000 spectators saw, or thought they saw, Jerry Gordon step into the double doors, shut himself in the separate cage, then poise and steal himself for entrance into the arena itself. It was death, but he had to go through with it. It was death, but with these people in the spotlight, he could not go back. The next story in this audiobook is The Last Drop. It was originally published in Astonishing Stories, November 1941, and it's another story of little becoming big and big becoming little, therefore making a great story to accompany the main story. Euclid O'Brien and Harry McLeod are partners in bar ownership in New York. Euclid's brother, Aristotle, has sent him a bottle of some strange liquid from Borneo, in which the natives call Swallow. Mac, McLeod, takes the bottle as a dare and mixes an interesting concoction and gulps it down. Euclid warns him that it could mean trouble. Mac says nonsense and walks out the bar with no ill effects. At least not yet. Soon a fly lands on the concoction and, after feasting on the mixture, begins to grow. The fly grows to the size of a dog and the patrons, along with Euclid, immediately think of Mac. They put together the idea behind the mixture and realize they must mix up something to counteract the growing. After a while, they mix up the swallow with some other drink items and, after testing on another fly, have created a drink to reverse the process. But, before they can go after Mac, the local mob boss stops in for his monthly protection fee. Euclid is more worried about Mac and tries to get rid of the boss. Well, the boss drinks down the reverse formula and says Euclid will be sorry as he leaves. But before he leaves, they notice the boss shrinking down. Hey, who's the funny guy? Said Quinella, snatching off his hat, his voice getting shriller. He looked at the band. No, it's got my initials. He clapped it back on and it fell over his face. With a squeal of alarm, he tumbled off the stool. Whatever he intended to do, he was floundering around the floor in clothes twice too big for him. Shrill, mouse-like squeaks issued from the pile of clothing. Chivas and Larkin and Guckenheimer looked around bug-eyed. Presently, the Panama detached itself from the pile of clothes and began to run around the room on a pair of small, bare legs. A customer had just come in and had started to climb a stool. He looked long and carefully at the hat. Then he began tiptoeing out. Before he reached the door, the hat started toward the door also. The customer went out with an audible swish, the hat scuttling after him. Oh my, he won't like that. No, sir. He's sensitive about his size anyway. The fun begins as the boss's henchmen demand a fight between Euclid, after being shrunk down, to settle the score. All this while Mac grows to super size and becomes a threat to New York City. 
with some humorous scenes and antics by all the characters in this story, it's a fun one from the Golden Age. Reviewing for SF Site, I'm Guilty Wilson.